reading from Exodus chapter 11 and we're reading the whole chapter, the plague of the firstborn. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring no more plague on Pharaoh, one more plague on Pharaoh and, and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favourably disposed towards the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of the country. Thanks, Annette, for that. Keep your Bibles open in that space, um, and in particular on verse 7. I had a moment this week. Who has moments? <laughs> just one. It was just one in particular, and I'll just quickly share with you a little bit about that. Um, some backstory to it. I had a birthday in early May, and um, I really wanted a particular gift. And it came from about 12 months ago. I was visiting my son up in Mackay, and in his kitchen he had this U-boot kitchen bin where you just wave your hand over the top and it would open, and you'd walk away and you'd close it. I don't know if anyone's got one of those, but they are just super awesome. And Rosalind said to me, Miles, what do you want for your birthday? Ooh, I really, really, really want a new kitchen bin. So um, she's shaking her head right there. But anyway, bless her. She went all over Grand Central in her high heels and uh, found me one. But that's not the end of the story because it's been two months in, I suppose, and this week I was in the uh, staff kitchen and I was putting something in the bin and I just started waving at the bin. <laughs> and Kelvin came around the corner and said, Miles, why are you waving at the bin? I said, trying to get it to open. He said, OK. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, what I'm trying to say is I really wasn't in the moment, I wasn't focusing. And uh, I hope we're going to focus this morning and be in the moment. That's a true story except for Kelvin. He didn't come round the corner and ask those, and I'm so thankful. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, what are we going to learn today? What did God say to you, and what will you do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, uh, that we can have a smile and a laugh too. And Father, we just thank you that you are in our days and in our weeks. Bless this word to us today, I pray, Lord, may our hearts be challenged. 
May our vigour for you be renewed. And I just pray, Lord, that as we do come together and and look into your word, that you will bless us abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. So, today's message is entitled, One More Plague. So as we continue through the book of Exodus, please remember something very clearly in your mind. It is that all of these experiences of God's people Israel in the Old Testament are written as examples for us. We who are God's people in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. There we go. To go even a little bit further, all the experiences of the people of Israel in being delivered out of Egypt point us to the deliverance that we have in Christ. I'll share with you 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4. Moreover, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate at the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So this morning we reach a climax in the deliverance of God's Old Testament people, the Israelites. This is exciting. Exodus 11, verse 1, as Annette just read, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. So, one more plague. There's been previously nine. Water turned to blood. What else have we got? Frogs, lice, flies, disease on livestock, oh, boils. Hail and fire and locusts and darkness. They were the nine before this last plague. So this tenth and final plague, one more plague, is death of the firstborn. The tenth and final plague, which immediately brings about the very thing which God has planned and purposed all along, and that is the redemption of his people. And that redemption was accomplished, can I say as we look into this, with a direct connection to the judgment of death. So, if we bump forward to Exodus 12, 29 to 30, we read that what was stated in our reading today in verses 4 to 6 actually happened. And I'm just going to read that to you from Exodus 12. It actually happened. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Mm, Why so severe? Why so harsh? Why so universal? Every house, even to the servants and to the animals, the death of every Firstborn. Remember this. Genesis 12, verse 3. God had promised Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now, culturally, the firstborn represents the whole race. The firstborn represents the strength and honour and the power of the whole family, particularly back in those times. So when God killed the firstborn, he demonstrated 
to them. His ability to kill everyone. He showed the Egyptians that he had absolute power to judge them, finally and completely. He held in his hands the keys to their very life and death. So from this, we do see here the judgment and justice of God. If we just go back just a little bit to Exodus 4, verse 22 to 23, just to give a little bit more context here. It says, Then say to Pharaoh, Say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. It was the promise of justice. And you know what? God keeps his promises. It was the same promise God had made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.16 And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We know that they did eat and they did die. This judgment is made even clearer as we move into the pages of the New Testament, especially in the first part of Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or as we read in James 1, verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And this warning of judgment hangs over all men men and women, even today. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. This is such a clear and concrete concept we have. Death as the punishment for sin. And that's what I want to say this morning and that's what we're hearing is it's the basis of the gospel invitation. For unless the punishment of death is proclaimed as the just reward of sin, unless hell is proclaimed as the place and experience of eternal torment, then the proclamation of the gospel is rather empty, amounting to little more than what is commonly called moralism. Just do good, be a good person. That's what God wants you to be. Absolutely. That is wonderful. And we should all be good. But at the end of the day, there is no redemption in that. Romans 3 verse 10 says this, There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm, Wow. It is only when you and I recognise that we are dead in trespasses and sin that we can begin to understand that salvation means we shall be made alive together with Christ. Salvation basically means to be brought back from the dead or deliverance from harm, ruin or loss. So when we get that, when we get that, 
And when we read the first half of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, when we get that, we can also read the second half of Romans 6.23, which says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So this tenth plague is not so much about the death of the firstborn in Egypt as it is the life of all those named among Israel. We see in this history of the Old Testament people of Israel the escape from death to the gift of life. Put your finger on verse 7 for a minute if you've got your Bibles open. Just want to share with you a quote from Steve's message last week. Steve said, But for God he has a much greater focus. He's concerned about redemption, the purpose behind their freedom. He wants his people to know that they have been redeemed by him. He wants the Egyptian pharaoh and his people to also know that the gods to whom they worship are false gods and that he is the only one true God, the almighty almighty, powerful God, creator of all. And in verse 7 today, we see that the Lord does make a difference. And the difference is simply this. They get his justice and we get his mercy. God makes a distinction in verse 7 such that those who are of Israel shall escape death, which is the consistent picture of our eternal salvation. The point isn't that the firstborn of Egypt died. Rather, the point is that the Israelites were saved. This was the historical experience of salvation, very real in the figurative truth of the Old Testament. But remember... The verse from the start I just shared with you this morning from 1 Corinthians 10.11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction to whom the end of the ages has come. It is our, for our edification and training in righteousness what we read and hear today from Exodus 11. In the next little while, I would like you to shift your minds, can I ask each and every one of you to shift your minds to two terms. Bad news and good news. Or as Nathan said this morning, a bit about beauty and barbed wire. I like that one too. So good news and bad news. The Egyptians in the last plague experienced bad news and the Israelites experienced good news. The Egyptians were warned but did not listen. What if their hearts were not hardened? God is making a point here for us today to learn from. And how so, you might ask, Miles, you know, how so? Well, let's have a look at John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's as if Jesus and all of Scripture is waving the caution flag so that no one has to go there. Heck, go go where, Miles? What's going on? What are you talking about? Matthew 25, verse 46, gives us a clue when Jesus spoke about the sheep and the goats. Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 46, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Have a look at that verse for a minute. 
What is interesting about this verse is that sometimes people will say, well, you know what? Eternal punishment, hell, if you like. Hell is not eternal, but heaven is. We'd all like to think that, right? No one likes bad news. But that same word eternal is used in both places, as you can see up on the screen. In that same verse, and yet nobody says that heaven is just temporary, do they? The gospel is necessary because of a place called hell. The gospel, good news, is necessary because of a place called hell, bad news. I don't know if you've seen those ads on TV showing horrific accidents, car accidents, about texting whilst driving. The pictures of bodies and the horror of extreme sadness that followed. It isn't very pleasant to watch. It is a warning shown, I guess, out of love and shown out of concern because we don't want people to experience that. Sometimes we have to talk about difficult realities motivated by love and concern for others. It was Dr. Henry Jowett who addressed a rather large convention a number of years ago who said this. He explained hell by saying, the very term good news implies that there is something called bad news. The very proclamation of salvation presupposes a state of being lost. Hell is the dark background on which the brilliant picture of the gospel is painted. But without the background, you don't have any picture. You see, we, we wouldn't like it if there were no consequences for sin. You can't have heaven without hell and you can't have salvation unless it saves you from something. The literal meaning of gospel is good news. And we tell an incomplete gospel if we leave the truth about hell out. The truth of scripture should motivate us in this narrative. Exodus 11, a prelude, is part of this truth and gospel narrative. Two groups of people, God's people, not God's people, with different destinies. I would say if there isn't a place called hell, then Calvary was an absolute tragic mistake. Was it a tragic mistake by the one who placed the solar system in orbit? Did he really miss it? Is that the only thing he missed? And now God is up there hitting his head up against the wall saying, how did that slip up on me? Jesus didn't need to die. (laughs) I don't think so. Let me just say, when you create a universe, you get to set the rules and he has. But you know what? The really great thing is God is going to incredible lengths so that people can go to heaven. And that no one has to go to hell. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 reminds us that God does not want anybody to perish, but he wills that everyone will come to repentance. Now, you know, I know you're sitting here and you're listening and I talk about hell and it's not a whole lot of fun, I guess, to hear somebody talk about all of this. You might be thinking, well, I'm sure I'm glad I came today. I'm not sure if any of you are cringing also because you, you brought a friend with you. You're thinking, oh, thanks a lot, Miles. 
I brought my friend with me today. My friend came with me, walked in the door, got a great smile. They greeted us. Thank you for being here. And the pastor now starts talking about hell. I mean, come on. Nothing says welcome to Toowoomba North Church of Christ, does it, than that. Isn't that special? Why today? Why today, you might be saying. My friend, you know, he's come to been, hasn't been to church for years and has come today. Why today did you use today to kick off Fire Prevention Week? Good one. Well, I just want to defend my actions this morning and let me explain my choice. Back some years ago, during a college retreat whilst undertaking my Bible studies, prior to my graduation, I promised and I pledged to a small group that I would not say what itching ears want to hear, but that I would preach the whole counsel of God's word, even when it's not popular or uncomfortable, because I need to be reminded, and you need to be reminded, and so does your friend. So please understand my motivation this morning. I don't want anyone to go to hell. From a logic standpoint also, do you think that God is up in heaven with the angels saying, oh, I'm really just trying to use this hell thing to motivate them to behave? There's really not a place of eternal punishment. I'll, I'll apologise about my methodology when they all get up here. Hmm. Here's the thing. God has kept every promise that he has ever made. Why would he compromise his purity and his holiness to lie about hell? Why would God the Father allow his innocent son to be whipped, beaten within an inch of his life and then watch as spikes were driven into his hands and feet and for six hours on a cross watch his son slowly suffocate and with every drop of blood he was paying for every deed, every evil deed that I will ever do and that you will ever do. You know what? He did it so that you, me, will never, all believers in Jesus Christ, never have to catch a whiff of smoke from an eternal fire. You see, there is someone else who doesn't want you to choose hell for your eternal home. I'm not the only one who doesn't want you to see a place called hell. Someone will say, well, a place that horrific must take an awful lot of sin. What type of crime would it take to warrant a place in hell? Reject Jesus Christ and walk away from his saving grace and you will seal your fate in your place in hell. And that's it. Put yourself on the throne instead of putting him on the throne. That's it. A Christian doesn't need to fear hell. <laughs> Thanks to Jesus. Thanks to Jesus. The work of, the, of Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection means that hell has no real power over the believer. When we trust and we follow him, hell is absolutely defeated, gone. That is really good news that the world beyond these walls needs to know. Jude, second book, the book before Revelation. It says this in verse 23. Save others by snatching them from the fire. That is what we should be doing, spending our life doing as believers. 
snatching people from the fire. Charles Spurgeon, who preached back in the late 1800s, he said in one of his sermons to his church members, I just love this, he said, if sinners be condemned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. That is so convicting. How far will we go? What will we do? Because you know what? You have a say in where you spend eternity and you can influence others as well. Sometimes people ask me the question, they will say, well, would a loving God send someone to hell? The answer is no. We send ourselves by rejecting Jesus Christ because, you know what, quite often at different times, junctions in one's life, we are faced with opportunities to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. I'm going to um, sort of wrap things up a little bit now with with a story and invite the music team to, to pop up. Now, this story is about a fellow by the name of Gary Hogue. Now, Gary Hogue was a respected and caring doctor. He passed away a few years ago. He grew up in church. He made a commitment to church, was baptised during his youth. He even preached a couple of sermons when he was a teen. But after med school, Gary began to doubt who God was and if God was even real. His wife was active in the local church and his daughter sang in the worship team at times and and for years, Gary would come to church. He would be nice and he'd be the kindest guy in the world, but he just didn't believe. He just didn't believe. And the following letter is a letter the pastor received from Gary's daughter, Dana. And she writes, For as long as I can remember, it has been my prayer that my daddy would come to know Jesus. He was a good man. I never doubted his love, but he was not a lover of Christ, and so his salvation became the prayer of our lives. And several years ago, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and during his disease, he became more of a seeker. He would read things about God. He watched religious programming. He went to church more often. It seems he was becoming more open to the idea of God and faith, but he just kind of stayed stuck. And it was almost as if Dad was just content to being a a seeker. About four months ago, my mum, who is a prayer warrior and a person of great faith, had another deep conversation with him when they returned from a doctor's visit. Mum said she felt a desperation about it and she began to be nudged by the Spirit to have this conversation. She said to him, I know you have been going to church and asking questions, but I'm really afraid that you will wait too long to make a decision. And that day she went on to clearly share the gospel and she told him the choice that he was facing was whether he was going to try and pay for his own sins and thus, and thus end up in hell or whether he was going to let Jesus pay for them and spend the rest of eternity in heaven. She said to him that hell is a place of isolation from everything he knows and cares about and that is forever separation from God. She told him that Jesus' life Death and resurrection created a way for him to avoid that isolation and have a path to be with God forever. And through tears, she told him that the good news of the gospel was that his sins had already been paid for and that he just needed to make a decision to accept it. And mum told him very simply that his choice was between heaven and hell. 
She said he seemed to be listening intently. After this emotional conversation, she kissed him and she got up and left the room to do some other things in the house. She said, with his disease, I didn't know if a few hours later he would even remember the conversation. But several hours later, he came to her and put her arms around her and he said, Honey, I choose heaven. I choose heaven. The prayer of our lives had been answered by God with a resounding yes. In the next few weeks, we got several confirmations that he didn't just choose heaven, but that he genuinely chose Jesus. A change was evident. Dad's choice totally changed the last weeks of his life. There are no words to describe how very different that experience was compared to what it would have been like. And when he passed, we were sad, but we were not desperate and we were not hopeless. I know I will see him again because he chose heaven. Beautiful, beautiful story. Choice, not chance will determine where you spend eternity. Nathan shared this morning in his worship time, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love John 3, 16. I'm sure you do too. But you know what? I love John 3, 17 maybe even a bit more because it shows us shows us how God doesn't want us to go to hell because in the same breath from John 3:16 Jesus goes on and he says God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it well you say you might be saying well miles you've given me some things to think about today this one more plague thing yeah that's business back in exodus exodus has done my head in but I hope we're focused enough today. You might be saying, yeah, I'll take some time to pray about it. I'll pray about these things. Let me just say, to say not today, or to say maybe, or to say in a little while, is a rejection of Christ. Don't allow your confusion or your heart be hardened over what you don't know to pray to paralyse you from acting on what you do know. Choose heaven, swallow your pride and choose Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may the sceptic be willing to investigate. May the stubborn soften their hearts. May the proud humble themselves. May those who are good realise that their righteousness is like filthy rags compared to your goodness And Lord, may the Christian be more grateful than ever because of what Jesus saved them from. It's in his name we pray. Amen. But you know what? I've got just just one more slide, eh? Just one more slide. Because if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and personal Saviour, if you haven't chosen Jesus, then you haven't chosen heaven. And you're invited today to choose Jesus, to choose heaven. And if you'd like to do that, as we sing this last song today, a beautiful song entitled, I Only Want to Be Where You Are. That's heaven. If you'd like to do that today, please come forward during the the, the song. You're welcome to sit down. 
There's a couple of chairs, spare seats at the front there, and I'll sit with you and we'll pray together and we will rejoice. But don't leave it any longer. Don't reject Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to go to heaven. And after we finish the service this morning too, I'm just going to sit down there for a little while too, for about five minutes. If you want to come and talk to me about choosing Jesus and choosing heaven, please do. Thanks, guys. Let's sing and stand together.